from free foam at the green dragon we've missed you so much sorry we've been away we had stuff going on good morning sam hey good morning good bright early morning here in west virginia on uh, this special friday before easter for a lot of other people Mm, i forgot it was easter my boss reminded me said happy easter i said oh yeah Yeah. right happy easter cool bunny bunny coming on sunday i'm hoping with some candy Mm -hmm. that's the important stuff so uh cool. yeah how you been i'm good i'm good spring's here we had a four or four day weekend it's uh actually we have a national holiday here it's called tomb sweeping day oh. and you ba- basically go out to your relatives grave sites and uh pull weeds and sweep oh yeah, yeah. it's kind of like we have here in america called tomb knockover day where mm-hmm. people go out and vandalize uh, graveyards um, like of their non-ancestors it's you know it's similar maybe yeah it's good really. college activity university yeah, get, activity get physical get your get your heavy lifting in for the for the day and uh maybe go to jail for a little bit but hey you know it's all those character all it's, it's <laughs> character building exercise for sure hey so here we are uh episode 11 and uh looking forward to today's conversation uh Kick us off a little bit, Jonas, with uh, some of our sponsor information, please. All right. We'll go, we'll go through them pretty quick. As always, uh, kissmybrew.com um, is directed by Dorian Tully of Metz, France, a Frenchman who loves beer. Come to kissmybrew.com for all things beer and equipment reviews. Includes extensive homebrew content. <laughs> Written by yours truly, also Swamp Rabbit Brewery, established 2014, Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. Please call them, 864-610-2424. Go see Ben the Beer Boy Pearson. Tell him Jonas sent you. And ABT, Applied Beverage Tanks. You need professional equipment or advice, call ABT. They are old school and get the job done, period. Hey, so the other sponsor, our newest of the new, is Alamani Solutions uh, from our great friend uh, Doug Hyman out there in Seattle, Washington. What's up, Doug? Um, 
This is your go-to source for craft beverage quality solutions. Easy to use, even without a lab. Free shipping in the contiguous United States. Um, check them out at www.alomani.solutions. Hey, and speaking of those guys, they've got some great educational pages on there uh, for uh, small and large breweries to take a look at. I recommend homebrewers go in there and look at their SOPs. Uh, some really cool information. I think we're seeing the evolution of the uh, um, the industry's uh, further in evolution of the industry's ability to have uh, not to have to have a lab at your facility and uh, quality assurance. Yeah, quality right. assurance. It's great. It's great. Quality so, assurance in a box. No, and I'm not being facetious about it. Literally, it's it's really tough. I've been in a small craft brewery, did not have a lab, and while I had many successes, I definitely could have used them along the line. Now, be sure to check out the hangover cure. Oh. That is, you know, that is worth every, every penny. Excellent. So okay. that's really good. Yeah. Sounds good. What is that by the, what are you talking about there? What? Ala, you said Alamani solutions, all craft beer solutions. Well, I have really bad hangovers when I get drunk, <laughs> when I drink craft beer. So I need I to didn't see that on the educational page. Hopefully Doug will add a tab in there. Um, <laughs> I know I'm getting to know the educational stuff because I've been doing a little editing for those guys. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good read. Actually. Some of that stuff gets to be uh, um, pretty cool. uh, tedious in reading, but this is pretty good. Read, nice. So yeah, nice stuff. Um, hey, uh, so, you know, we don't really have kind of a quirky story to begin with today. So we, uh, we might want to go ahead and move to our article, but I'm sure we'll think of something quirky. For well, I had to tell you about my saves. Oh, yes, that's right. We saved that for today. It's easy. Yes. Okay. I didn't What's have any. Yeah. Oh. I never saved anything. Oh. I, when, I just I just <laughs> fucked it up and dumped it. It was over. Yeah. So the, Done. Same, the, solution, <laughs> the solution was just dumping. And I would jump up and down on the porch and scream and cuss. And <laughs> my old lady would like... She'd laugh for a little while and then she'd get a little upset and then she'd get angry and say, it's been 20 minutes. Can't you shut up now? And then she'd feed you some hot peppers and you'd be quiet for a while. Yeah, 10, gallon, 10 gallons of beer soaking into the grass in my front yard. Hey, did you ever make pepper beer? You ever no, try hot pepper beer? No, I drank yours though. Yeah, that was pretty hot. It was, I, I it was hot. that bad boy up, yeah. Set your taint on fire. Yeah, it was a different kind of fruit beer for me. Uh, maybe not really fruit, but, but I uh, I can't even remember. Like, I think I might have used four pounds or something of jalapenos <laughs> in that. Seriously, man, you, you should have gone for eight. Yeah, I think it was I four mean, pounds to five. I'm serious. I think it was four pounds to five gallons. Why and, even uh, taste the beer at all? It should just taste like a jalapeno, like <laughs> drinking jalapeno peppers. Say, it was not one of my balanced, uh, fr you know, fruit or vegetable with malt profiles. Yeah, that was <laughs> not a save. I, yeah, I like to uh, surprise people <laughs> with that beer. A couple of good stories about people who come over and they, what's this one with the J on the, on the, yeah. <laughs> on the cap? I'd be like, oh, it's just, just beer. It's best if you one. funnel it and you handed them the yeah. beer funnel. <laughs> 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 yes. And then, and then three days later when they got out of the hospital, um, <laughs> They start <laughs> shitting solid again. <laughs> yes, they would have uh, uh, BMs that were the shape of jalapenos. So uh, interesting <laughs> story. Hey, we've gone south here. Let's go north and talk about our interesting article of uh, this week. Okay. <clears throat> Once again, submitted by the mystery producer who 
as we discovered on last episode, actually exists in real time. He speaks. And is not AI. I, you know, my whole theory was <laughs> it was all a, uh, you know, oh, an AI-generated uh, uh, trick on your part, Jack. Algorithm. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, algorithm for sure. Uh, but the article comes from him today, and it's uh, titled Why Malt Matters uh, mm -hmm. from Craft Beer and Brewing. I think that's an online mag, I believe. Um, yes. And the uh, <clears throat> author's name is Josh Weekhart. I'm pr mispronouncing that, but it's probably Weckert. Uh, yeah, but I like probably Weckert, Weikert, but, but whatever. Weekhart, Weckert. Weekhart, uh, you know, Weckert. So that's a good one. Could All be, right. Numenorean king if you put um, tar in front of it, but we won't talk about or that. Or maybe just an Anglo-Saxon warlord who just slaughtered Britons by the by the hundreds. I, I, bet, I bet this guy's loving us right about now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, right. you know, again, uh, the, the articles have just been spot on. Um, this like one it. really, really floated my bobber. You've got a lot of cool comments and ideas and here Jonas... Uh, Mm -hmm. jump us off here and talk about what your impressions were and uh -huh. we'll start with that. Well, well the cool thing is it's not too scientific there's a few terms in there that uh you may or may not need to know but he's just talking that when you buy a big 50 pound bag of malt even just and even just as a home brewer not to mention a small commercial brewery you, you don't really know what you're getting you just basically buy you'll buy it out of habit and you'll buy it oftentimes because of the price and because of loyalty i mean i bought breeze malt out of it was good malt yeah but uh it wasn't necessarily the best but i was very loyal to them and uh but but now there's craft maltsters a little quote out of the article craft maltsters work with farmers to select specific barley strains for cultivation and furly, further breeding and development targeting small brewer friendly characteristics and what i really like about it is that um, certain supply chains are becoming localized again mm -hmm. and whether it's market driven or covid driven i don't really care i just like that I, I, I like the fact that things are becoming at the least regional and at the best local again. Yeah. And that's pretty important for me as a person, uh, just as a person, much less a brewer. And, you know, we've lived in pretty uncertain times over the last year. And this is a case where we get back to the way things used to be in a good way, you okay. know, because, yeah. um, and, and before market prices drove every decision in our lives. Right. And so I really like that aspect of it. And uh, you kind of get what you pay for. They did mention that it could be, uh, again, at home brewing level or commercial level, 10 to 20% more. But yeah, I, you get what you pay for. You know, you can get American cheese or you can get French cheese and one costs more and see which one tastes better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of my takeaway from it too. It's a, um, it's really cool to see uh, craft maltsters is a new term for me. Um, I think we can call anything craft at this point, but that, you know, I think that applies very well here. Uh, and if I had, you know, possibly as a home brewer, I, I was very loyal to my brands as a home brewer. Uh, and that probably had to do more with supply than anything else. Um, you know, at the time we were able to get malt, uh, back way back in the day from our local home brewing shop in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, which was still not that local. It was about 60 minutes away from where we, we lived. But then later on, we started being able to uh, get it uh, 
uh, mail, which is expensive at a home brewing level. Um, but if I'd had access to some of these uh, nicer um, uh, malting uh, local maltsters, that would be great. I like the idea of having uh, a maltster, you know, roast and malt to your level of what you want uh, to really, you could, you could, mm-hmm. you could probably, and, and again, we're talking about cost, but in a, in a beautiful, perfect Waldesian world, uh, I would have that person producing, you know, a great pills, Pilsen based malt uh, at a certain Louvie every time for me only <laughs> and mm-hmm. be able to afford it. Right. Uh, and yeah. use that as a base malt for, for most of my beers. Sure. I always like to use pills malt, um, even though, you know, sometimes it might be a, a little bit, well, the modification was not as good back in the days. Uh, there was a lot of homebrewing going on for me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. There's not too much scientific stuff in this. They talk about free amino acids in there um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and nitrogen, yes. I believe, um, uh, fans. This protein content and things, it's, but it's not necessary to know per se. And they talked about spec sheets. And I confess, as a brewer, I never even looked at the spec sheet. If Bree Small said it was good, I took their word for it. And if, yeah. if the beer wasn't at its top shape, it most likely was not Bree Small's fault. Mm-hmm. That's not to see. And again, it, 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 it really lies in the hands of the brewer, but it, it is exciting that there's just something new going on. And I, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah. I, I think it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great to see one thing that is just really apparent with the evolution of beer in America is the knowledge base of home brewers uh, and how much, information they have access to but also how much information and 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 uh data that they apply to their home brewing practices you know <clears throat> it's starting to gray there's a gray area between small craft beers of uh, small craft operations and home brewing because mm-hmm. of that i believe i think that the the information that we have our you know have access to uh, people are taking that and applying it on a, on a micro micro scale in the five gallon batches and that's pretty awesome um well, i mm-hmm. have haven't tasted a lot of people's homebrew in the past few years uh the last one i had was from um, a new friend of mine here in west virginia who's got really basically it's a it's a two barrel um, but yeah, i mean it, it's fully mechanized like state-of-the-art stuff right it, it is it's highly mechanized you know it's got it, it pumps um, steel tanks steel tanks it's it's a beautiful system this guy's a doctor uh his background is in biology so he's a real scientist um and he applies a lot of scientific approach to it but he's also got that balance that we discussed between you know you could be a great scientist and be a shitty ass brewer well, he has good taste. He, yep, he can he, he can figure out if it tastes good or not. Yeah, so I had his saison uh, one time, and I was mm-hmm. really blown away at the quality of it uh, for a, a homemade saison. And then he has a quadruple he produces uh, mm-hmm. that was, you know, best homemade beer I've had in decades. And uh, right. uh, so you know, hats off to him. He's doing great work there. But that's an illustration of how it's it's you know, that it, everything's graying. But you know. You can also get back to the roots of, with homebrewing especially, just making beer. And so if you have access to some of this very consistent malt at, at, a, at a small level, mm-hmm. just focusing on the ingredients and not maybe the science side of it as much, 
Um, you can make uh, you can make high quality, consistent beer. Um, yeah, you can make commercial grade beer at home, hands down. Period. Yeah. There's there's not a difference. You could do blind taste tests with people, right? And you know, an an average drinker, or even a knowledgeable craft beer drinker, could taste and you know a, a journeyman homebrewer's beer and a and a and a commercial craft bottled beer, and they wouldn't be able to tell the difference. You know, yeah. which in take, theory, I mean, I yeah. think. No, I think I think you're right. I think that uh, I'm sure there's still. I mean, there's got to be. There's bad commercial and and homemade beer out there. I mean, that's just, well, of course. I, I just meant like somebody who really knew what they're doing, or just really care. Well, it, it really cared about what they were doing, or had that balance. Because uh, I want to go back for a second. You know what? It's I've, one thing I've learned working with Dorian over the last year is that the the amount of equipment available to homebrewers now is. Uh, has just evolved as much as this craft malting has or the, or the aroma hop industry has. It's just crazy. I mean, you can get, you can get five gallon mechanized homebrew systems that are technologically more advanced than the 15 barrel brewery I had. Yeah. And, you know, now that they have the software and stuff that people use to formulate recipes, I mean, and I actually thought about it for the first time yesterday. You know, what if I did go back into brewing or I should say when I go back into brewing, because, you know, you and I got some business to talk about late, you know, yeah. in the future. But it's like, are we actually going to start using that bullshit software or are we going to formulate recipes like brewers do? Yeah. Now, I, I, and I mean, I'm no. being a, a little flip about it, but I'm like, hey, you know, I'll check it out. But I'm always yeah. going to formulate a recipe like on paper in my head with what I know, what tastes. And, but I will lead us right back to the article that one thing they said to kind of towards the end was that good recipe. And this is also a quote. Good recipe formulation starts by tasting your ingredients. So get yeah. to chewing those grains. That's a valid point. Yep. I, and I the flavor that. profile of each becomes more clear to you. And um. Okay, end quote. Uh, you can't really tell a lot per se by munching on raw malt, but what you can do is run off a bunch of experimental batches and learn learn what your malts taste like and learn what different match temperatures do to them. Yeah. And you just got to do that stuff through experience. And you can't, well, you could, but if you took a spec sheet and then type it all into the computer and then the computer tells you what your beer is going to taste like, that's uh there's a disconnect there um yeah, a computer should be a support tool for your brewing it shouldn't be the primary driver or i wouldn't recommend it to be the primary driver of it yeah that makes good sense that's all I want. <clears throat> well you know and raw ingredient tasting is uh, it's a good point you can't always tell from tasting raw ingredients what the end product's going to be like however uh doing a lot of education of brewers over the years I used to conduct an experiment or a, an exercise where uh, would take everything, including the hops that were involved and the water, individually taste each item. Um, the yeast was a little harder to produce, but sometimes I might use bread to do that. But taste, you know, all the components that were going to go into the beer, have the brewer-to-be or the brewer who was uh, tweaking their, um, uh, their craft, uh, write down little simple tasting notes on each, each item, and then taste the beer post-fermentation down the road uh, and then write out what they thought were those, you know, those primary components in the beer. 
um, translated translated and and um <clears throat> you know it, it it gave it the exercise really was more about understanding the layering of components and the layering of ingredients that go into beer and how those all combine at the very end but uh having people taste malt um, mm-hmm. i always ate malt you know i think mm-hmm. most brewers do um i don't actually i don't know many brewers that don't taste their malt if they're not tasting their malt then you know start tasting your malt that's very important don't talk about me like that i would munch on chocolate malt and caramel malt while i was brewing almost i mean i wouldn't say uh in bulk but i mean i would eat a handful of each kind of while i was hanging around the kitchen drinking beer and you know uh um smoking banana dean you know Mm -hmm. waiting for the boil to finish yeah. You know, back in the days when I used to smoke bananas and, uh, yeah. 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 and I oh, speaking of, I had a beer last night, dude, you might've seen my post on Skype. It was called banana bread ale. Dude, I've had it. Yeah. It was only a dollar for like a pint. It's by some brewery, I think Eagle Brewery in England. Yep. That's the and it tasted, uh, good. Well, it tasted like beer and then the, the, it just disappeared like, it's like the flavor profile for me just kind of fell off a cliff. Um, it reminded me of those people who make uh, pumpkin ale. Yes. And instead of actually using pumpkin, they just go to the Kroger and buy all that really, really cheap the pumpkin pie spice and just throw a couple of pounds of that in there. And uh, it makes it taste like pumpkin pie, but there's not a pumpkin anywhere near it. I mean, that's just, but again, I'm not saying it's bad beer. It just wasn't my taste. I had like a small glass of it and I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go Carlsberg on them. Well, so. yeah, going Carlsberg, maybe it's, you know, that's for a different week. So did you have it on track? I'm going to have it on tap. No, God, no. They, oh. we have this grocery store here. It's Taiwanese owned. It's called RT Mart. And it's, it's almost like a, uh, well, it's just a big super supermarket superstore, and they have a lot of imported food. And they'll get—I mean, they're the ones that had those five-year-old Timmerman lambics, and they'll get some amazing Belgians in there sometimes. Um, and now I'm totally kind of off tangent with the malt, but I did want to tell you about uh, a beer we have called Popple. I sent you a picture of that, and it's—it's yeah. it's a Swedish craft beer. It has passion fruit. And dude, it's the first beer I've ever had with American Aroma Hops, the new varieties. And I was totally blown away. The the, the, the aroma palette was as complex as wine and far more complex than most wines. It was just amazing. And it was a delicious pale ale with a bitter finish. And it just had a hint of passion fruit is a common fruit here in Taiwan. So it's something we eat like all the time. Yeah. And, and my buddy just scored a 12, they're only like, uh, like 80 cents a piece or something. And he just scored like a big basket of them literally like 30 minutes ago. We're psyched. Oh, that's awesome. So I, I, because the last, we've been talking about IPAs and, I've been bashing them and you've been bashing me and, you know, we're all joking around, but part of the the last true IPA I had was, you know, six or seven years ago, I had an Elysian, you know, about Elysian, it's from out West, but it was an old school IPA, just one of those ones that just takes the top of your head off with, you know, 800,000 bitterness units um, with not much subtlety to it, just a hop forward beer period. 
And, um, but I just truly had not tasted one of these pale ales that had the aroma thing going. So that's great. You know, we, uh, I'm not saying I'm a convert. I'm no. just saying I really appreciate the aroma hop. Well, and that, that's uh, that's good that you had a chance to taste that and, and check it out. We've been talking a lot around here. Those of us uh, in this part of West Virginia that talk about you, Jonas, all the time um, about the fact that we want to introduce you to uh, uh, some of these uh, styles we've been, uh, bashing and I've been bashing you about your bashing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, you know, we can't get them to you. Uh, we can't mail them. I wish we could, um, we could try, but I'm sure they would never make it. And once they made it, the delay oh, in the mail, I'll, be, I'll keep my eyes open. I... But one of the, one of the outcomes of this bashing going, all this bashing going on is, uh, we've been, I've been, uh, really exploring a lot of the, uh, uh hazy styles, Mm -hmm. uh, New England styles, uh, Imperials. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And um, cool. Uh, last night, uh, well, yesterday was opening day for baseball season here in America. Big day for me, as you know. And mm -hmm. so in honor of the Cardinals, uh, I had a couple of pints of Two-Hearted Ale, um, which is a great beer. I've talked to you about that before. But um, yes, one of, the, one of the net outcomes of us giving, uh, me giving you down the road for giving the beer down the road is it just keeps on ex making me explore that stuff, those styles and, and the air, the aromatic hop, aromatic hops. And there's some great things going on. So, uh, interesting. Um, well, well by the so, way, con yeah. condolences, uh, I, I, at least I read about it. I heard that you guys lost your baseball team. Did that in fact happen? No, it did not. Oh, MLB good. did not pick up our local team, the West Virginia power. Well, that's what so I mean. To, well, they've gone yeah. to an independent league. Oh, so okay. we still have baseball and, okay. and, uh, in conversations with a friend last night, uh, checking out the Cardinals, we were discussing the, uh, benefits of that. Um, you know, I think the MLB, you know, there's some stability in being an MLB farm team, but mm -hmm. the independent league, I think is going to give the, the organization, the opportunity to do some more interesting things. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the food quality is going to go up, which is important at the stadium. It, it really trashed over the past few years. It initially, it was great. Um, okay. And they're going to be able to bring in some pretty stellar talent because these aren't going to okay. just be farm team people that are in and out. These are going to be, you know, really consistent players. So um, it's okay. interesting you read, across, read about that. Yeah, it was kind of a big deal. I think I heard about it on NPR. Or it might have even been, you know, on my news feed somewhere. But uh anyway yeah. a lot of a lot of places you know that were affected by that decision lost their teams and you know just in time for people being able to get back out and do things in you know outside of their homes because of the pandemic uh they don't have spring baseball to look forward to which is you know horrible but um hey so let's check out our homebrewing question of the week uh, once again submitted by dorian our great friend there at kiss my brew and um this question, uh, Jonas, would you read the question for us? Well, it says, how to do a hop stand? Well, I know how to do a keg stand, um, but I always got a, a, a headache. But uh, it's a, or a, how do you whirlpool hops at home? Hmm. Well, for me, it was pretty easy. Like, I never brewed more than 10 gallons at a time. Mm -hmm. If you're brewing extract beer on the stovetop, it's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah. And actually, most of the time, I used hop bags. However, if I did throw a bunch of hops in the kettle, which I did later, 
I would just stir it as consistently I could clockwise for about a minute and uh, as uniformly as, or I don't know, 30 seconds, just until I got tired of it. And I would try to get the kettle possible, you know, if, I mean, the problem was, is I had to cool it. Let's see, God, what did I do? No, I didn't. You know what? I didn't do it because I didn't have a wooden spoon. I would have had a plastic spoon that, that would have just melted. But uh, if I did have a spoon, a steel spoon, I would just stir it and it would create a natural whirlpool. And in theory, it would produce a small cone yeah. uh, in the center of your pot. It's not necessarily a huge deal. But overall, if you're home brewing, I recommend uh, muslin bags. What about you? Well, you know, <clears throat> I was treated it very serious from the beginning. Uh, I was, uh, I had read um, early on the importance of, um, uh, you know, hot break uh, pops uh, and, um, and being able to really create a good uh, hop island or a cone. And mm -hmm. so um, stirring was what I started with. Um, I was fortunate to have those high, you know, high temperature plastic paddles that you could, you know, dip in, in boiling wort and not worry about, you know, Maybe oh. I did. I, yeah, I think I did, like actually. That. I did have a long spoon. I, I would stir it real good, but continue. Well, and, and it, you know, this is one thing you used to tease me about was, and maybe forget, um, is the length of how long I would stir it. Or if I had a helper there, especially, that would be, or somebody hanging out drinking beer, that'd be a job I'd willingly say, hey, this is fun. Try this. And uh, it would be a 10-minute process of somebody, either myself, and that's what used to tease me about Now, what he life. means is when Jonas was sitting there drinking beer, he would say, hey, Jonas, you want to help? Come, come on over here. I'll teach you about a cold break. Okay. Yeah, cold, here's your cold <laughs> break. Sorry, yeah, I got that wrong earlier. Yeah, so Hold on, let me get yeah, another so, beer. <laughs> yeah, you just keep applied with beer and you're happy. Um, and that worked exceptionally well. Uh, you do need time. Um you know, one minute, as you said, produces a small break or helps with the break. Uh, the, you know, 10 minutes is, is ideal. Um, and eventually, once I got pumps for my system, it was real easy to have a whirlpool. I would just take a, out of the dropout valve uh, in the kettle. I'd go into the inlet on the pump, have a, have a hose coming out the outlet, and then clip it to the side of the keg, um, open the valve the entire way. Um, now, the valve that I had had these, uh, I forget what they're called, gorilla filters or whatever. Um, and so even though you were pulling from the bottom, technically of the, um, uh, what was going to be happening with the hop island or you know, the breakout, e eventually it would create a, a uh, kind of a, its own little space within that. So you're still pulling, you know, pulling the work through and you were getting the fallout on the breakout on top of it. Um, but then you clip this hose on the inside of the keg. And so you've got a really nice way of whirlpooling that. Well, you'd kind of have to clip it so that it's laying against the side of the keg that, going exactly, sideways, correct? Exactly. But I wouldn't, the one thing I knew not to do was put it like above the level of the wort. So I wouldn't mm -hmm. have a lot of, you know, exposure and oxidation at that point. Um, and that worked really well. I forget what these filters are called. They're still out there. It's like something like gorilla filter, but it's like a long cylinder that's, stainless that's got you know it's you know oh yeah yeah it's got mesh in there mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, and I think even, you know, if you're using Muslim bags, I think it's even important to go ahead and, and do a small whirlpool. Um, now, all that said, I haven't checked out the new technology. It wouldn't surprise me if there's not like a fills, because, you know, we was used to use this equipment called fills sparge arm and stuff. And I, I never remember. I don't know that. if he's around anymore, man. I've been Googling Phil Sparger and I don't see it anymore. Yeah. And so I wonder if there's like a, a Bob's Whirlpooler out there, a modern day version of that. Um, mm. But uh, I, you know, I'm looking forward to at some point getting some feedback from our listeners out there. Um, if we have some homebrew listeners out there and you guys want to send us an email about uh, how you do your own home whirlpooling uh we'd love to hear it um we do have an email address freefoampod at gmail.com and would welcome uh your thoughts on this eventually we're going to be asking you guys to send in questions so this is your chance world uh speak back to us we know there's thousands right jonas thousands of you guys out there tens of thousands tens of thousands at this point um i would like to see the statistics on how our uh uh, listener base is growing because it is growing i've got a couple of friends here in west virginia who've heard about it and sent me communications going wow uh okay uh let's not look at cool um so okay we can uh, easily move on to the um uh the next part of the cast oh we got some stats coming up here yeah, let's not read them, but let's just That's say uh, they're going up. They're going up. And um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the listener base is still primarily male and all that good stuff. But um, we've got some people who are listening consistently, it looks like, and that's fun. And we appreciate mm-hmm. it. Um, so uh, moving back to the end of our, of our podcast here and kind of the, um, you know, uh, Tolkien corner as we've been calling it or whatever you want to call it um i put i threw a question in there today or a, an idea okay. in there i don't know if you had a chance to look at it or not jonas sure. but um the wizard's you know, pipe think, weed yeah you know I, you know what first off i was thinking why do the wizards focus so much Uh-oh. on pipe weed right um and, and mm-hmm. then i thought well you know we could talk about that so um okay I was wondering what your take is with Gandalf and the fact that um, when he smokes pipe weed, he seems to get altered, not in the way that you would equate pipe weed with marijuana, but altered in a way where he kind of Mm -hmm. becomes a little more ethereal. Um, I think there's a couple of quotes Mm -hmm. in the, in the LTR books where he has to um, he's got some complex situation in front of him and he needs to clear his mind and focus and so he's like i have to have i have to have a smoke basically mm. um what he's got to think that, about it yeah what do you think what, what do you think is uh what does he get at what's his what's his take on it what does he get out of it i guess it was just a relaxer uh you know i was never a tobacco smoker myself i mean mm-hmm. we're it was, I'm sure it was akin to some form of tobacco. Um, it could have had nicotine or, or some other sort of, you know, chemical stimulant in it. Um, and I kind of uh, kind of wrote a little note here that perhaps it was crossbred with hemp or had some hemp-like qualities to it. Okay. And um, that's not to say that P 
people smoke it to get high, but it, it could have some very, very mild psychoactive effects. Like uh, when I first moved to China, there was a city, you, you can't walk on the grass in China, period. That's like in block letters, like at the top of their constitution, like literally don't walk on the grass. But there was one park in the city of Dalian where you could walk on the grass. And um, there was wild hemp everywhere, but nobody knew what it was. So you, so you could like kind of wade into the bushes. And I mean, you kind of had to hunt for it a little bit, but we're the only ones that knew what it looked like. And we'd, we'd be in the bushes and people would, would be in like these little copses of trees and kind of like, you know, people would camp out there and shit. So you'd have to dodge, you know, human waste and refuse and detritus and stuff. But uh, we'd sit there, be stripping these, stripping these branches of leaves and people would walk by and kind of look at us funny and say, what are those, what are those white guys over there doing? But it was uh, it was very mild, but it was just a relaxer. And uh, so, yeah, maybe it had some just some some very mild, mild effects. And but most of all, it probably just relaxed him and made him contemplative. I mean, he was he was an angel after all. You know, he wasn't really a man. He wasn't a god, but he was he I think it helped help put him into his uh his spiritual state that connected him with the higher power that was within him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's what I think. I agree. I think that was uh, the primary intent. It also gave him a, it was a socialization thing with the hobbits. He would do um, lots of cool times of Bilbo uh, smoking with Gandalf mm-hmm. and them talking over the world or just the Shire in general. Um, I, I'd like that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, i just wrapped up uh, Return of the King literally last night. And, um, you know, Saruman figures so heavily throughout all the stories. And even at the end, uh, you know, he pops up his head in the Shire, uh, which is, you know, mm-hmm. just mind boggling. Even every time I read it, I'm still like, damn, I, I know it's coming, but it's just like, damn, there he is again. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I often wonder what his focus was on it because he gives Gandalf some grief about it. I think he even gives Radagast some grief about it, but then slowly he's sucking it out of the South Farthing and, and uh, Mm -hmm. you know, parts of the Shire that are known for the great pipe weed and stashing it um, in Isengard, but then in the Shire itself stashing it, you know, do you think that he was doing that just as a, okay, because it wasn't like pipeweed was a commodity, right? They weren't selling it. Nobody talks about exchanging money for it. I don't see that anywhere no, in the writings, right? Oh. Do you think, think uh, it was no, a commodity? I, oh, yeah, absolutely it was. Okay, so was he absolutely doing it money? Absolutely it was. was he uh, well, he was, he was supplying, his, supplying his army. I mean, okay. he did have a lot of men in his army. Okay. He could have had a couple thousand men in there. I mean, remember the... This, the population, I mean, it, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly. There could have been anywhere from three to 30,000 hobbits in the Shire. We're not sure, but that's really not that many. Right. And if they're primarily farmers, you know, they were brewing plenty of plenty of pipe weed. And, um, yeah. you know, if how much how much weed can a man smoke? How much tobacco can a man smoke compared to a hobbit? I don't know. Roughly twice oh. as much. Hard to say. But he, he's kind of like one of these closet. Uh, and I, I, I mean, absolutely mean no respect to our dear brothers and sisters in the disrespect. 
I mean no disrespect to our brothers and sisters in the community, but it's it's like these gay bashers that just go on and on about how being gay is a sin. And then, you know, it's really because, you know, they have this this secret life going on, kind of like our that uh congressman who's been hanging out with the teenagers, you know, oh, the Matt yeah. Gates or whatever that jerk off is. Yeah. But uh you know, he goes on about sin and Americanism and the purity of, you know, American culture. And he's like, you know, going down to Florida and running with teenagers. It's, it's just that kind of thing. Yeah. Saruman, Saruman was, you know, secretly like, you know, had bong in the stuff, you know, had like a water pipe room and in Orthanc or something. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, uh, I, I, I agree. I think he was secretly partaking. Um, I also, think that part of it was just a way of getting back at the we folk at the local yeah. level and just another way of putting a fork in their back uh you know um all the destruction of the trees and the shire all that stuff that was very very apparent but then slowly sucking away this thing that was a yeah. central part of a lot of uh, hobbits uh lives um, he did it to be malicious and he could just malicious. take it from them i mean he could pay it pay him whatever he wanted you know he could yeah either steal it or just give them a fraction of the market price for it. And they weren't going to do anything about it until Mary and Pippin came back and, you know, were brave enough to stop them. Yeah. And that's a Mary and Pippin evolution is a great story for later for a different cast. Maybe we can put notes to mm -hmm. that. I'd like to talk about um, their growth literally and figuratively. Uh, well, um, I tell you, I think that the, uh, time is coming here to wrap things up a little bit we're uh sure uh, we're we're getting back on track here we're going to be looking forward to some things coming up in our next few casts that are going to be surprises we won't give those away um but in the meantime uh i'd like to say uh y'all take care uh we enjoy having those of you who are listening listen and um peace out yeah you guys take care love each other get your shots goodbye